Welcome to the American Negotiation Institute's podcast, where we will teach you the skills you need to get more out of life. And now your host, Kwame Christian. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiation for Entrepreneurs. My name is Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer and I am passionate about teaching business professionals like you how to be more persuasive and get more for your business. And so for all of our avid listeners out there, I know you're probably wondering, hey, where's part three of the car negotiation series? I thought it was going to be next. And you were right. It should be next. It's done. But I wanted to bump this interview up in line uh, for my friend Philip Taylor, who's our guest, uh, because he shares some great information about an upcoming event. And the event is happening later this month. So I wanted to put this up there. So you, if you have the ability to get there, you can get there with ample time. So for those of you that are new, welcome to the podcast. I know we probably pulled a few more people uh, just because of who the guest is. Um, just to fill you in on what we've been doing here with this podcast, um, we've put together probably the most comprehensive free car negotiation resource online. And so it's a three-part series. In the first part, we talked about the strategy and research that you should implement uh, before your car negotiation. And then in the second episode, we talked about the tactics that you can use in the actual negotiation with the salesperson. And then the third one will culminate in an actual recorded negotiation with me and the salesperson. And then we'll do a play-by-play on which strategies I used, what worked, what didn't work, and what you can use in the future in your own negotiation. So just a teaser for all of you, I used Kyle's techniques that he shared last time and had a very quick negotiation. It was shockingly fast, probably about eight minutes. And we were able to get the car down to about approximately 13% below market. And it was really easy. And it wasn't easy because of some innate skills that I have. It, It was easy because we did the hard work beforehand. And so if you listen to part one and part two, you'll see how we were able to systematize the process and really just make it a step-by-step approach to negotiating this car. And for those of you who are not getting a car in the near future, I still recommend listening to it because there are a lot of really great foundational negotiation principles that we share in those two episodes. So if you like the content that you're seeing on this podcast, please leave a review. Let us know. I got a LinkedIn message from somebody from Bulgaria last week and an email from somebody from England. So I know there there are people out there listening. So I tell you, when you take the time to write a review and um, leave me some stars on iTunes, it really motivates me to keep going. So reach out. Let me know if there's some content you want me to cover and let me know you're out there listening. Our interview today is with Philip Taylor of ptmoney.com. Philip is the mastermind behind FinCon, the world's largest financial content expo. Here are the highlights that I want you to focus on throughout the interview. Pay attention to how he utilized social proof and creativity to get the first speakers and attendees for FinCon. Also, take note of how he was able to negotiate with hotels for massive discounts for conference expenses. And in the interview, he also talks about how he was able to persuade his wife to be okay with him leaving his job. In most cases, the most important negotiations that we have are with the people who are closest to us. So these techniques that he shares, you can use with your friends, family, business partners, and colleagues as well. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview. 
we are here with my uh, good friend Philip. Um, we actually connected at the at Chicago's um, podcast movement conference, and um, it's funny, uh, Phil. At, at the time, I didn't realize how influential you were in the uh, in the online world, and so I'm, I'm really appreciative of you, of you taking taking your time to chat with us today. Oh, absolutely! It was a pleasure meeting you there, and good being on the show with you. So, how about we start off with a brief intro? Sure. Uh, Philip Taylor and I am married, have three kids here in Texas. Um, was born in kind of a small town in Louisiana. Followed my dad's footsteps in the accounting world, got my CPA, and decided ultimately to, to choose that path right out of college. Um, a few years into it, I just discovered it really the traditional, I guess, financial uh, corporate and, and uh, service world wasn't necessarily for me, but I didn't necessarily have a good outlet yet or something to jump to. So uh, in 2004, I discovered financial blogs, um, discovered there are these people online who are crazy enough to talk about money and share their own stories and successes and tips. And uh, I was just pulled into the content and just uh, read as much as I could and just loved it and decided one day in 2007 to start my own site. I figured with my CPA background um, and my own personal experience, I had something to give. So that's how ptmoney.com got started. Um, And that's just a site to share my own experiences and uh, tips and tricks with money. Uh, A few years into that, I took it full time. So that became what I did uh, from a side hustle to my full time business. Um, and then a year after that, I decided to bring every one of those financial bloggers together uh, for a conference that we now call FinCon, which we're in our sixth year. Um, and so now I'm running both businesses, the, the blog, PT Money, still doing that, and then run the conference once a year, uh, FinCon, and uh, just have a blast running both businesses and sort of um, you know, waking up and choosing every day what to work on and what to do and kind of call them on shots. It's a lot of fun to do, but uh, blessed to be in this point and um, you know, certainly uh, enjoy, enjoy the opportunity to be on your podcast. Negotiation isn't something necessarily I think that I do on a daily basis in, in terms of that ter- terminology. But when I sit and think about it, I mean, there's so many things I've had to do to get both my businesses and my life set up the way I have it now. And certainly it's create, it's, you know, it's uh, required some negotiation along the way. So I'm looking forward to being on this and on this podcast and talking about this subject in this way with you. That's great, man. I and I and I love that you said that because a lot of people they don't realize how often they negotiate until you you sit down and talk about the definition and exactly mm-hmm. what it means, and then you're like, wow, it's it's everywhere. Yeah, and well, a negotiation can kind of I think have a negative connotation in a way, like yeah. you're taking something from someone else. But in most cases, um, I try to be a giver first and um, try to find, I guess more pluses on their side whenever I'm uh, whenever I'm uh, negotiating and so um, I don't know I just try to look at it in a positive sense like that yeah I, I love that and and it's funny you said you look at yourself as a giver because um, one of the most popular negotiation books that came out in the na- last couple of years was I believe it was called it's givers and takers or give and take mm-hmm. and it's um, all about the the essentially it's like it's almost like karma you know what you mm-hmm. give out you get back and, and you and you give without the anticipation of getting something back but the benefit it has in negotiation yep so that's huge so tell us a little bit more about fincon because that that it's actually coming up next month so hopefully some of our listeners will take a look at it and maybe swing by san diego but tell us how it's how it started and um where it is now maybe like how many people you started with and how many people you're at uh this year 
Sure, sure. We uh, started with 250 people, and most of those folks were what I would call personal finance bloggers, people who I was interacting with online when I started up my own site. Um, this weird community of people, like I said, who's brave enough to uh, either anonymously or out publicly talk about money. And uh, as you know, it's probably the last one of the last taboos in our society. Um, and so, uh, you know, we're the people online having those conversations. And so I, I knew a few years into hanging out with that community and being a member of that community that um, I wanted to get to know them a little further, more in detail and be face-to-face with them. So when I would go to other conferences, I would bump into members of our community and I would just love hanging out with them the whole time. And so um, I decided that we needed to have a bigger meetup, you know, and it was really just an idea of a meetup initially, but it, you know, when I, I guess threw it out there, I was brave enough to say, let's, let's call it a conference, you know, and invite our business partners out invite some speakers and make it a whole deal to, you know, at a cool location and have fun with it and see what it could be. Like I didn't necessarily put a cap on it. So um, we've grown from 250 and we'll have about 1,150 folks wow. this year in San Diego. Information is at FinConExpo.com if you wanted to kind of see the visual of it. But it's an awesome community of people who um, love calling themselves money nerds and, you know, <laughs> don't mind uh, being attached to that stigma and, and just we feel like we're collectively uh, having a conversation online that ultimately can help consumers, both U.S. and abroad, with their money, help them make smarter decisions and, and lead to a more positive financial future for the world. So that's kind of what we're doing. We're doing. And I'm lucky enough to bring everyone together with the conference. That's awesome. So, yeah. so how were you able to get initial buy-in for the first FinCon? Because I imagine it would be difficult for, for you to take all of these people who are used to um, getting their voice out there online to actually come together in a, in a physical way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there was some pent-up demand to be together, so I knew that was in play. So I was lucky in that regard. But um, I would say my best cho- choice initially, uh, now that I think about it, was to uh, essentially show everyone that because because back then I certainly wasn't like an A-list blogger or something like that. No one was necessarily coming to see me. So I knew that I needed to have the right people there. I knew that when people looked at the conference website, when they looked and saw the attendee list, they needed to see their friends there or and their friends and their the people who uh, they look up to in our community. And so... Um, one of the tactics, tactics I use, if you want to call it a tactic, I guess, is um, you know is to leverage social proof uh, to show the faces of the other people who were attending. So one of the first things I did on the website when I built it out was to put a Facebook like box, um, and those show you know faces on them, whoever is liking it. And so I think that had an instant social proof effect for it. Oh, if if JD Roth, who's like the godfather of personal finance at Get Rich Slowly likes this conference and he's going, then, um, you know, certainly that's something I want to be a part of. And so uh, I think the most important thing early on was just getting those influencers involved. And so when you've got all that sort of on your side, um, it's hard for people to, to, to say, oh, this thing, this operations, what is this? I don't trust it. Um, so you overcome a lot of those, I think, initial hurdles with the, with the negotiation when you have sort of an army of support on your side. And so whenever I would get a new uh, you know, speaker lined up, I would put their face out there and let everyone know who was coming. Um, yeah, and so that's kind of the thing. I used a lot of social proof, I guess, early on to kind of prove myself and give people trust. 
I love that. It's and it's a brilliant tactic, really. Um, and uh, I like the social pr- social proof because you're mm-hmm. relying on uh, Cialdini's one of his uh, seven keys to influence. So another book re- recommendation to the audience is Influence by Robert Cialdini. Fantastic nice. book. So th- yeah, I, I love that. And and essentially what you were doing in in this multi-party, multi-multi-party uh, negotiation uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to persuading people is you were showing your leverage, your strength, yep. your power. Uh, that that was a really smart way to go. Yeah, yeah. And and backing up a bit, I mean, so how did I get someone like J.D. Roth to be involved, right? Mm-hmm. So these influential people, how do you get those initial, you know, yeses? And And for me, it was figuring out what they wanted out of the equation. I mean, a lot of these people were A-listers, but they didn't want to plan an event. Mm. They weren't event planners. They didn't, because that's a big undertaking. I was the one taking that risk, taking all the financial risk, yet I didn't necessarily want the spotlight when I got there. I wasn't going to do a keynote. I wasn't going to be on the stage a lot. So I was actually giving them the free opportunity to come to an event with their headlining. So I'm putting them on stage as the first keynote speaker and, you know, really sort of raising their profile in our community um, as kind of the influencers by putting them on stage. And so um, that's how I got those initial those initial set. Uh, so I needed those guys and I was willing to give them a lot um, to, to be there and be a part of it because I knew they were so, so key to having success. So when you say you were willing to give them a lot, what do you mean by that? Like what kind of things were you willing to offer to get them to to support you in that way? Well, uh, the init- the first year, you know, I didn't have much of a idea of the conference was going to make any money at all. So to be honest with you, I didn't necessarily promise a speaking fee. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually ended up at the end of the conference having some money left over. And so I did divvy some of that out to our speakers. But um, initially, I-, I didn't throw that out there. I-, I basically just offered the opportunity to keynote at the first one. And I said, I'll make you essentially the star of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, J.D. Roth had done a little bit of speaking. Um, he was having some success, obviously, with Get Rich Slowly. Um, and so I think, you know, for him, it, it, it was an opportunity to come and give back to the community that supported him, but also sort of, um, you know, be, be seen. And I don't want to put words in his mouth, but, you know, be seen, be seen as the influencer there, be seen as the first keynote for FemCon. I mean, that's a, that's a pres- prestigious opportunity. Um, and then secondly, um, I also reached out to Pat Flynn who had never given a keynote before, Pat Flynn of Smart Passive Income, who I think you've had on your podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, Pat, you know, our community loves what you're doing. Um, we want to hear from you personally. So come out to our, you know, little blogger event here and be our, be one of our first keynotes. And so I asked Pat to do his first keynote. And at the time, I just think it hit him at, the, at a point where he was wanting to be challenged with public speaking. And so I actually became Pat Flynn's first keynote. And so you can go on YouTube and see him do his first talk at FinCon. Um, back then, like I said, we were called the Financial Blogger Conference. But um, I think just, just giving them the opportunity because our community was such a text-based, uh, sort of behind the blogging, behind the keyboard community, this was their chance to kind of come out in the open and be in front of a real audience. And so... Um, I think just having that in my back pocket was was enough. I didn't have to pay them necessarily that first year. I'm definitely going to look at that video. Um, I'm looking forward <laughs> to that now. But um, even though you didn't pay them with money, you you did confer value, um, and and sure. that's important. You know, with um, when it comes to negotiation and persuasion, you need to work with what you have. And sometimes, when you don't have a lot, you have to be creative 
and you found a way to do it and then and get those big names to show up yep and that's evolved over the years so we've done uh, as the years have progressed i mean i certainly couldn't use the that same sort of approach but you know we've done things like uh, set up people for set up speakers for uh, book signings, purchase some of their books in lieu of their speaking fee. Um, certainly, negotiated press uh, for them because we are a media conference, so mm-hmm. we can actually. I think one of the speakers came one year, and essentially what they wanted is is for opportunity to connect with all the attendees to do potential interviews for their book release, and so. I leveraged essentially the media of our community um, to get that speaker there, and they were totally satisfied because I mean, what the, they didn't need another speaking fee; they could get that at Joe Schmo corporate event, you know, <laughs> ne- next weekend. But what they couldn't get for free anywhere was help with promoting their book, and so we were able to do that. So we always look for. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a cheap guy when it comes down to it. So <laughs> I'm always looking for that little um, you know opportunity to. Uh, to give them something that our community already sort of naturally has built in. When did you realize that you had that kind of social leverage? Was it re- like readily apparent to you when you first started or did it kind of hit you as you were able to get these bigger names? Yeah, it's, it's definitely grown through the years. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm certainly proud of our community and I understand the power that collectively we wield um, but at the same time, I'm sort of an um, uh, independent guy, and I respect sort of the independence of each of our each of the publishers. And so, um, I don't know. I don't necessarily like using that a lot, but um, our, our, yeah, our community is powerful, and I think I've realized that as we've continued to grow. And um, I think I think speakers, to a fault, now sort of see me as the kingmaker in terms mm-hmm. of putting them on stage at my event. And I don't necessarily like that because our, our event has always been sort of a community-based uh, open source event where people kind of come together and collaborate and um, share ideas. And it's more of a flat hierarchy. Yeah. And so um, I don't know. Sometimes I don't like the necessarily the idea that I'm going to make this. I'm going to sort of crown uh, you know, the next big, big people in our space. Um, so I'm not necessarily comfortable with that. I don't know if I've answered your question with what I'm rambling about right now. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I think that that was, that's a really interesting answer. Um, yeah, I think that that's, you're one of the first people who, who's, uh, described their power in, in that way. You know, you, you have the power, but not really kind of comfortable with that label. Yeah. Of having, that's interesting. But, uh, you, you seem to me like a benevolent, benevolent ruler, so it can't be that bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, good stuff. Well, have you have you ever negotiated with um, hotels or for discounts for some of the contra- uh, uh, conference locations? Absolutely. You know, if you're ever doing a uh, a conference of your own and you're in search of a place to do it, I would certainly recommend one of the hotel search firms that are out there. We use one called Helms Briscoe, and we have a contact there that she essentially puts out. Uh, request for bids into different cities and hotels and everyone comes back with their what they'll do for us and so um you know that that service is certainly helpful and it's free uh to us the hotels just have to pay uh that that broker to to make that possible but um you know we negotiate the contracts are in-depth and we we try to get as much as we can um you know, certainly we're we're bringing a lot of revenue to these hotels. In my case, you know, over half a million dollars of revenue is going into this hotel with, with food and beverage, with AV, with rooms booked. 
um, you know, we're spending a lot of money at this location. So um, we expect a lot. We expect the, the, the conference space for free. We expect uh, a certain amount of uh, comped rooms for us as staff for free. Um, and, man, there's a whole litany of in, things that we try to get. And, and even personally down to, you know, hotel reward points, I try to score as many of those for every contract as I can get, um, which allows me to travel you know, for free for the rest of the year and stay at my hotels for free. So, um, I, uh, yeah, we try to get as much as possible, you know, from the hotels. But like I said, I would, I would go to a professional who's used to dealing with, who's used to talking to hotel people. Yeah. So that's utterly mind blowing because I, <laughs> since this, this is a space that I'm not familiar with. So it's really fascinating to me to see how negotiation works in these different locations and these different, um, realms. And I never would have thought, that um, getting the conference location for free was was an option, but again, since I'm I'm not familiar, I, I never really took the time to consider the the leverage and the the power and money mm. that you bring in to the hotel. I, sure, I, I didn't I didn't think about that, but half a million that's pretty significant. So they essentially they they owe you a lot for for choosing them. That's the way I see it, and, and I'm and I'm not uh, I'm sort of the golden unicorn in uh, in the event planning space because I'm a solopreneur and I'm not necessarily this corporate um, or association type event that's just going to go to the same hotel year after year after year um, and sort of be the the bread and butter of the of the conference or event business. Um, I'm like the ice cream, you know, the, the sugar on top, basically. So whenever a hotel gets me and gets our event at their hotel, um, it may be a little more difficult to work with us because, you know, it's, we're kind of a small organization or we're, uh, you know, not necessarily, um, I don't know, we don't have the corporate sort of event team, but um, I think we're, we're everyone's bonus for the year. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so I think they uh, really value bringing us in for that extra little kicker. Yeah. So I guess the uh, that nugget that's a big nugget of of wisdom for the audience is mm-hmm. take some time to really go through a thorough negotiation analysis to see where where your power lies because a lot of yeah. times it it looks like you you're coming to the hotel saying, "Hey, can I get a discount? Please, please, please." But in reality, you know, they are they're the ones that want you more. Yeah, yeah. And and with hotels, every market's going to be different every year you know so we're lucky in that we are flexible and we can move the conference around every year and so um you know we uh you never know like this year we ended up in san diego and three years ago we never could have done that for less than 200 dollars a night and we got the hotel price down to 169 a night is what we got for our attendees for the actual hotel night but uh you know we were able to get the you know space for free and uh get a really good deal otherwise so um yeah, I would, I would, you know, in the hotel industry, it's all about, you know, sort of what's hot, what's next. And cities are building out different hotels every year. And so prices are going to change from year to year. And so we just keep, you know, renegotiating and do, doing new contracts every year. Um, try not to lock ourselves down into anything long term, um, but always sort of see what's what's available. Yeah. OK, let, let's shift a little bit to um, from corporate style negotiation, negotiation with a, another business to negotiating at home mm-hmm. because um in your um in your profile on your site you described your wife as frugal mm-hmm. so i would imagine taking on the initial expense was uh, might have been a hard sell so how were you for the first vincon so how were you able to uh get her on board for that expense 
Man, I got her on board, I think, because I just caught her at a weak moment. <laughs> no, um, I, I had just taken my blog full-time a year earlier, and that was a huge uh, leap for, for us. And so I'll back up a little bit and talk about that experience. I mean, I wanted to be a full-time blogger for a couple of years going into that, and that was something that was you know stressing her out and not really something she was on board yet because we were about to have our first kid. And so... Um, you know, what we had done, though, is the past, you know, three or four years of our marriage, we had spent fixing our financial life, uh, getting rid of debt, building up extra savings, and just doing the things it took to be a little more flexible with my job situation. Um, and so uh, my company was going to send me on a three-week trip to India, and it was the second time I was going to go there, but it was going to be, I loved, I loved it the first time I went, but going back again wasn't as appealing. And my uh, it was going to be over my daughter's first birthday, oh. and so yeah, my wife was like, "Oh, that stinks! You know, you're going to miss her birthday." And I said, "Well, here's what we could do." I took that moment to negotiate. Oh, that's brilliant! I said, uh, "We, you know, I could become a full time blogger, do that, and I could stay home for the birthday." And she said, "Okay, go for it." And so I used that moment to kind of make that leap, and then I think a year later. We, I had figured out the whole you know, full-time blogging thing and it had seen some success in that. And so I think it gave her confidence that, you know, me being out, that I, that I understood the marketplace that I was kind of working in and that I understood um, what was best, you know, career-wise for me and for our family at that point. And so I think because of those successes, I was just kind of building on that. And she saw that as kind of building on that success. And so, um, you know, I asked, I remember asking her, laying in bed at night, what if I started this conference, you know, what if I do that? And she was just sick of hearing about it. So she said, just get up and go make the darn site and invite people <laughs> right now and stop talking to me about it. So that's kind of how that went down. Nice. I, you know, one of the things I really love about the story is, is that it, it highlights the fact that power and leverage are relative, you know, it, mm -hmm. it shifts. So in, in your case with uh, the negotiation with your wife, with whether or not you could leave, you took that opportunity, you knew what you wanted the whole time, and you waited until the time was right to to make that ask. And that's, that's that was really smart. I, I have a 10-month-old at home, so I could imagine my wife would have me do whatever it took to make sure I was there to uh, for his birthday on um, October 5th. She's already talking about plans right now. I was like, he won't <laughs> remember this, but you know, I, I keep I keep that to myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he'll see the pictures and he'll know that you had it. That's yeah. what's important. <laughs> <laughs> I guess um, what I'm working on with him now is having him hold up his finger and say one. So we're practicing for for those photo ops. So nice. We're, we're we're getting our our ducks in a row to make it a, a fantastic uh, first birthday. That's great. That's great. Okay, so let, let's shift again because I want to leverage your knowledge as a, as a CPA and a successful personal finance blogger and uh, talk to our audience about some of the financial benefits they could have if they start implementing negotiation skills in their life. Yeah, so, you know, I think, uh, I think just bringing an awareness to your finances is, is step one, you know, uh, certainly becoming aware of what, how you're spending your money, how you're bringing in money, and then taking steps, taking action on that. So, for instance, as a micro example, um, and this is, you know, most people I think have heard of this at this point, but, I mean, take a look at how much you're spending on your cable bill to watch TV. Um, you know, you could, you could uh, look at that bill and say, 
Uh, is there a small piece of this that I don't need or I could do without? Or could I call the company up and ask for a better rate? It doesn't hurt to ask. Um, or could I call an additional company and see if they would do better? Um, and I think having that approach, um, you know, periodically with your finances, finding those little ways um, to kind of cut back on, on things you're already you're going to spend money on, um, those little things can certainly add up, you know, over a lifetime and over um, – you know, the course of your financial history and, and can make a big impact, you know, in the future for you. Um, so I, I certainly think negotiation is something I, you know, I'm always looking to do. I think, I think there are tools that make, make that easier nowadays. I think there are even like bill negotiation tools uh, that automate, sort of automate the process for you. One of them is called True Bill, I think. Um, and so you can go to Truebill.com, and I'm not associated with them, but uh, Truebill.com is, is their website. Another is uh, sort of on the micro savings side, so a little way to kind of get get big results from small uh, impact is uh, is, a, is a service called Digit.co, and they automatically take money from your checking account, put it over into your savings account uh, using their own algorithm based on your previous spending. And so over time, uh, I've seen big results, um, you know, from just these micro sort of savings, you know, withdrawals from my checking account um, that I wouldn't have done otherwise probably. Mm-hmm. And so I'm huge on, um, you know, automation and, and trying, looking for ways to kind of make your finances automated and simplified. But at the same time, it doesn't take big moves. Once you set it up, it can be micro transactions, like I said, that can have you know, lasting impact and huge impact down the road. Wow. That's, I did not know of those resources. So thank you very much. I'm, I'm going to check Absolutely. those out. Um, yeah. One of, one of the things I've been um, um, talking about a lot on this podcast is uh, the ability to negotiate things in your personal life and your business life. And I remember the, the first freebie I put up was, and it, it's still up there. So if you go to AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com, um, forward slash list l i s t you can get a, a list of all of the things in your business life and personal life that could be negotiated and so um I know for me, like once I realized that I could negotiate almost anything um, or at least ask there 's no harm in asking i I started negotiating like with uh, Verizon. I had a fifty dollar fee, got it waived um, with cable bills and and for instance i it might seem small i think i got seven bucks off per month but the thing is with those types of expenses like cable bill and your wireless bill and leases you can negotiate a lot off of leases those things compound so they're monthly expenses so you'll be able to save a lot over the course of the year Yep. So. and once you start optimizing you'll you'll start thinking of other things you know it's sort of success breeds success in that area of your life I think so yeah um, just just take something on little like that like your cable bill and then who knows like then you know the next day you could be you know saving saving on something really massive so right it's that it's it's maintaining sort of that mindset of am I optimizing my spending here am I paying the best I should be for the things I want in my life right. Good stuff. So let's let's um, wrap this up with a challenge to our audience. So if you were to challenge the audience to do one thing in the next week to become a better negotiator, what would it be? One thing I don't think we do enough of, and this goes for me as well, is is making a list, sort of a wish list in our life or in our businesses. And so I think creating that wish list, that 
man, this is this would be a really cool to have list, uh, either for your personal life or for your businesses. Um, and having that handy, knowing sort of what these items are on your, man, dream big list, yeah. um, it, that would come into play huge when it comes to people who are asking for something from you uh, in your business um, and, or, or whenever you're just in negotiating in general with your business. And so I can think of, you know, times where uh, people have asked because, you know, now I'm in a position of influence my, with my event. Um, you know, they ask for extras or for different things. And so I sort of have a running wish list now, um, you know, of items that, uh, that I can say, well, hey, well, this is kind of what I need, you know. And I think just having that list um, top of mind like that is, is super helpful. Uh, that way you're not left scrambling, you know, think, trying to think you know, on the spot or whatever. And so I think making a list of your wants and wishes and dreams in life, um, as corny or as simple as that sounds, I think is important because when you need to make those negotiations, sometimes it's right on the spot. And so having sort of that list in the back of your mind, uh, of your wants and wishes is, uh, is important. I just think it's important to get clear on what you want, what you want, be intentional about your life and be intentional about kind of what you expect, you know, out of your business dealings and your personal life. I love it. I, that's it's it's brilliant. It's, and I what I really love about it is the fact that it's tried and true and it's simple. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something that they can do today. It's completely in their control, and it's just a choice of whether or not you want to do it. So yeah, there you that, go. That's good. Yep. Alrighty. So before you go, tell us a little bit more about FinCon and what people can do to to get there when it is, and and maybe if you have the date and location for next year too. Sure, sure. FinCon is in San Diego this year, September 21st through 24th. And we uh, still have tickets available, still have sponsorships available. That's of interest. Um, I believe our price point for a pass is 449 at this point. Uh, so check us out at FinConExpo.com if you want more information about our community. Um, we're really a media event, so we don't sit around and talk about budgets and investing. We talk about uh, cr- creation of content, um, so writing and, and journalism and um, vlogging and podcasting, as well as uh, promoting that content, either through social media or through networking channels. And then, of course, uh, we talk about profiting from that content. So we talk about ad networks and affiliate marketing and uh, product, digital product creation, stuff like that. So that's when we have guys like Pat Flynn there to kind of teach us some of that stuff. But uh, it's a wonderful event with keynotes and um, you know, uh, wonderful expo hall and just parties and just a wonderful community of people who, you know, just spend the week kind of geeking out with each other. So I'd love to have you there. And, um, next year we will be, this hasn't been publicly announced, but I'll go ahead and share it on your podcast here. This is a, an extra special one here. It's, uh, we're going to be in Dallas next year and that, that is October 25th to 28th. So there you go. Love to have you come out. Yep. Yeah, for sure, and I'm I'm super excited that it is off. It it doesn't conflict with my son's birthday, so I have no excuses. Go. Nice deal. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Philip. I appreciate my, it. My pleasure, Paul. So I hope you enjoyed that interview. Please leave a review if you like the content that you're hearing on this podcast. Your reviews really help us out because they help us to reach more people. And remember, negotiation is where persuasion and problem solving meet. So if you have any questions or need help with specific situations, feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to help. But until then, I hope you all have a great week, and I'll catch you in the next one.